Could you open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12? Revelation chapter 12. And um, what the kids are going to do is we're going to act out really what I hope can be a memory verse for all of us from this passage. Um, wow. Okay. <laughs> when we used to do children's sermons, there were maybe 10 kids. Um, this is awesome. Yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> okay, guys, go ahead and sit down for just a second. Let me give you an idea of what we're gonna what we're gonna talk about today. Okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna divide you up. So this is where our junior and senior high kids. You can help me with this because I'm gonna divide the kids up into four groups today. Um, so I left my Bible over here. Let me read that verse for us today. This is Revelation uh, chapter 12, uh, verse, verse 11. Kids, we're going to talk about a dragon today. Um, and it's the dragoniest of dragons. It's the darkest and most evil of dragons. And he really has a name, doesn't he? And some one of you guys already said it. It's the devil, right? It's the devil. And isn't it great news that when Jesus died on the cross and was punished for our sins, great, great news, is that not only did he conquer our sin, did you know what? He also conquered Satan. So that's really good news, isn't it? But Satan still prowls about like a lion, roaring, right? Except if you look closely in his mouth, I don't think you'll find any teeth. I think he just roar, but he really... He can't really do damage to you if you're a follower of Jesus. But you guys, he can lie like crazy. He can deceive you like crazy. Have you ever, has somebody ever been, have, has somebody ever lied to you and it really hurt your feelings? Yeah, it, it's a horrible thing to be lied to. Jesus will never lie to you. All he will do, he is the truth, and all he'll do is tell you the truth. And as you follow his truth, it'll always keep you walking in freedom. That's good news, isn't it? The devil will always lie to you. And when he lies to you, it's to try to almost like put you in prison. Okay? So we're going to talk about how do we defeat the dragon today? How do we defeat the dragon? And verse 11 gives us a clue. And verse 11 says this. And they have conquered him, or I'm going to use the word overcome. So I'll, I'll read a little bit, and then would you repeat after me? And they have overcome him, and they have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, Guys, stay this way when you grow up. Oh, I love it. For they loved not their lives, even unto death. Okay, so let me break into four groups. So this is where junior high and senior high, would you help me with this? The first group, let's just take it in segments. So let's say... This group of kids right here, would you stand over here and y'all could be, could you be my leaders over here? So this group is the group who said we overcome him. Okay, so go ahead, come on over here, move over here and stand up over here with the girls. Okay. Over here, over here guys, over here. 
Good. Good, 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 good. Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah, that's good. That's a good segment. Okay, so this is our overcome him group. Okay, now I need the blood of the lamb group. So let's do, how about like with Eden? Let's, let's take you, because I really want this, this to be loud. So let you guys go back and stand in front of the baptism. And Deacon, would you, would you be their leader? Okay, you guys, Liam, Liam, why don't you guys stay over here, okay? Because um, I don't want to run out of kids. Okay, overcome him by the blood of the lamb. Okay, how about, how about you all right here be the word of the test, or the word of our testimony, okay? So, sweetheart, would you help here? And then, yeah, and, and um, I think we're doing good. I think we're doing good with numbers. Yeah, so Camilla, would you, yeah, would you guys keep them right here in the center, okay? Word of our testimony, and then y'all are going to die. Okay? And if that ever happens, then you'll go straight to be with Jesus, right? So you guys are going to be, we love not our lives even unto death. So come on over a little further. So Willow, would you guys, Willow, would you guys take them over here? And so here's what we're going to do. Um, <laughs> Jonathan, would you come help me? So Jonathan, this is a man of truth, but you're going to illustrate lies. Um, so buddy, would you lay down right here? You're going to be the lies wherever you feel best, on your back, or I don't know. If you want to see what's happening in front of you, you can do that. So go ahead and lie down. So you're going to be the devil's lies, okay? So you guys, what you're going to do is you're going to, oh, through, through Jesus Christ, right, we're going to overcome the devil's lies. So what do you think I want you to do? Jump well, not jump. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we do have insurance, but we, don't, we just want to. Um, so you've got to go flat if you could. And so you guys, as best you can, and so... Over your knees. Okay, would you put your legs together? Yeah. So step over his knees, okay? So you're going to be, we overcome him, okay? So hang on one second. Then we're going to go to you guys. And um, guys, can you light up the cross? Please? So guys, what I want you to do is I want you to point to the cross and, and just shout out loud, by the blood of the Lamb. Okay, that's good. Hang on one second. Okay, and now you guys, would you stand? Okay, here we go. And somebody wants you, somebody to hold the Bible. Okay, here we go. Do you ever sometimes wonder if this shadows of things to come? You know, I mean, just, you know, so cool. Um, and I want you guys to say, and the word of our testimony. Can you say it? The and the word of our testimony. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. And so when we get to you guys, <laughs> you guys are going to have fun. You're going to say, and we don't love our lives even unto death. Can you say it? We don't love our lives even unto death. And then what I want you to do. Okay. All right. Mitch, 
which we know if that would ever happen, and if you're a Christian, your body may go down, but, but you're, where are you going? You're going up, right? Okay, here we go. Revelation 12, verse 11. Right? Say that with me. Revelation 12, verse 11. Okay. We overcome him. Here we go, guys. So let's go. Let's, let's overcome this, these lies. Good. We're overcoming these lies. Overcoming these lies. Overcoming these lies. Very good. Very good. Very good. Oh, very good. Yes. Okay. Okay. Okay, you guys, come on down here. Come on down so we can see. Guys, can you sit down for just a minute? Sit down for just a minute. Okay, are you guys ready? My cross people? What are we going to say? Point to the cross. Point to the cross and shout out. By the Well, I'm tired. <laughs> I don't remember getting that tired when I was younger. Oh. If you're, if you're joining with, with us for the first time today, uh, what a time to come for a first time visit while we're going through the book of Revelation. Uh, today, there's gonna be some very graphic images that, uh, that God gave to John in, in this vision. We're gonna see several signs today, and, I, and I'm gonna explain that a little bit more, but, um, the imagery is not to be taken literally, but the truth that the imagery is portraying should both sober us as well as help us celebrate. Okay? So, uh, Revelation chapter 12 is our passage for today. Last week in Revelation, we learned about how secure a Christian is in the salvation of Christ, such security, security of our soul, 
our bodies, it, it, we could give, we could pay the ultimate price in following Jesus. And so many people before us have already done that. Uh, but our souls are secure, and they're secure so we can make great sacrifices in being witnesses for Christ, all with the view that Christ is coming again, and we will live forever with him. So that was the good news of, of Revelation 11. In Revelation 12, we're going to learn about Christ's decisive victory over both sin and Satan. And even though Satan is soundly defeated, it just seems to have magnified his hatred of God and of God's people. And, and, and you'll see in the text today, he's dedicated to waging a war against God and his people until Christ comes again. So this morning, we're going to learn about how God informs and empowers us to fight victoriously over Satan and his lies. And it's all based on the blood of the Lamb. So we, we want to be a gospel-centered church. It's not just because of our salvation. It's also one of the greatest weapons of our warfare. Would you stand with me as we read Revelation chapter 12. Remembering we, we come to this book, there's no other book, we come to this book believing its inerrancy and its sufficiency and its authority. Believing that this is God himself speaking to people who need to know him better. Chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who's to rule the nations, all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is also called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. 
But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, the place where she's to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. And then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Oh, Lord, I know with just all these precious faces and hearts have come in here with unique needs, different struggles. But Lord, I think all of us could agree that we are so attacked by the devil's lies. Lord, and too often we believe them. We believe his deceit. Even worse, we believe the accusations he makes against us. God, would you please strengthen the hearts of your people? Please help them see that victory was established through the death of Christ over both sin and Satan so that they could stand strong against the accusations of Satan. Please help us, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit all the time and uniquely to understand the word that you inspired. So we look to you and lean on you and seek first the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we've been through the seven seal judgments and the seven trumpet judgments. And before we get to the seven bowl judgments, God inserts three chapters, chapters 12 through 14, that we could call an interlude between the trumpets and the bowls. But don't see this as an intermission. This isn't like, oh, okay, this is where we go and get our popcorn and our Coke. This is not that at all. This is more like a spiritual boot camp. And I would include chapter 11 some in that too. 11, 12, 13, and 14 are like a spiritual boot camp where God uses many signs and images. And I believe that those signs and images are intended to wake up our hearts for those of us who, who tend to get drowsy in our relationship with the Lord. We, we tend to get more awake to what we want out of the world and asleep to what we need from Christ but also stir the fire of those who are awake and want to grow and serve the Lord with greater devotion. So there's these signs and images that wake up our hearts and minds to spiritual realities and warfare that is constantly taking place around us. So I want you to think, even as we're looking at this, these images of a dragon and the birth of a baby and his waiting to devour it, God uses that imagery because in, in accordance with the authority of his word, that imagery is supposed to affect our hearts. 
If that didn't, doesn't affect something inside of you, we, I'd love to talk to you after service because th then I, I'm concerned for your heart. God's, listen, just can we get it on the table? All of us can get drowsy following Jesus. I listened to an Iranian missionary, uh, and he, he said it this way. He said, I am so concerned, I don't understand. The church in the West seems to be under some sort of satanic lullaby. You're awake to so many things that perish when you use them. But you're asleep to Christ and his glory and the mission he's given you to fulfill. Man, that, that convicted my heart. So I think this revelation, the imagery, it's supposed to get down inside of you. The pictures of it. I think, why do we watch movies? Why do we? Because there's something that imagery does to our soul that brings a reaction out of us. Well, if a movie can do that, what about the divinely inspired word of God giving us images that represent spiritual truths? So I think that's what the Lord's wanting to do today and, and throughout the book of Revelation. God uses these chapters to give us a growing knowledge of him and the victory Christ has already won, which will be our greatest weapons to overcome temptation and persecution from the world and deception and accusations of the devil. And it wasn't just John and Revelation that taught us about this. Didn't this sound much like Paul in Ephesians 2? We don't wrestle against, say it with me, flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Michael W. Smith wrote a song. It's called Surrounded, but I didn't know it was called that. I thought it was called but they, the, the song says mainly one thing. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Come on. This is how I fight my battles. And it, I, I tell you what, it's a good starting point. It's a good starting point. And he, has, he has some things in the lyrics that, that actually do point us actually to Revelation, Revelation 12. It's just that a song can never communicate what the scripture communicates. So I think John, the apostle, is going to sing us a song today. I think he's going to sing us a song. You want to really know how to fight your battles? This is how you fight your battles, right? This is it. I know some of you are looking at me like, you are an idiot. What are you doing up there behind the pulpit? You know what? If we could be real together, if we could have heart-to-heart -heart connection I know that you would be right there with me in regard to the lies you believe this week about your health, about your money, about your marriage, about your next door neighbor, about the future. We all have been attacked every day and every week. And don't you think we need to know how to fight our battles? That's what the Lord wants to give us strength today. And, and encouragement. So our main point this morning is this. It's in your notes. We believe that the blood of the Lamb is the foundation for our victory over both sin's condemnation and Satan's accusations. Blood of the Lamb, that is the cure. That is the victory, both for sin's condemnations and for Satan's accusations. So let's look at how that the blood of the Lamb gives us victory over sin's condemnations. And we see that unfold in verses 1 through 6. It starts with a woman. So you should ask yourself, so who is this woman? 
a lot of imagery with this woman. Uh, it talks about this woman being a great sign in heaven. So remember when we're looking through books like apocalyptic literature like Revelation, uh, you guys, a sign isn't to call attention to itself. A sign is to point you to where you're supposed to go, right? So I mean, can, we would just be little knuckleheads if we, if we came to a sign that was pointing to the beach and we thought, but it's, maybe it says, I don't know, Galveston, uh, seven bazillion miles away, Midland right here. <laughs> and that we would just go, I think I'll just stay with the sign here in Midland. Oh, what a nice sign. It was well painted. Very clear. Like you can see it at night. It's, very, it's amazing how it glows in the dark. We, we can't do that with scripture either. The sign is pointing us to understand something that will be meaningful to your soul. So this sign is a woman. And we're going to use the Old Testament as we've been doing throughout this study as the interpretive key to understand who she represents. So I just want to kind of give you, just let, let's unpack that a little bit together. I want you to just be thinking biblically. Start in Genesis. Uh, it describes her as being pregnant with a son. Well, let's think in Genesis. Wasn't there a woman in Genesis? Wasn't there a promised son in Genesis? Wasn't there a serpent that, the, that our text today calls the dragon in Genesis? And wasn't there the promise of victory over the serpent dragon in the book of Genesis? So that begins to give us some interpretive key. And, and it, also, it also told us that that was the beginning. When sin came into the world, that was the beginning of this conflict between the woman's seed, meaning those that would put their faith in the promise of a coming Messiah, and the serpent that would last until the son was born to give that final victory. So the hope of God's people since Eden was that the promised seed would come to crush the serpent's head. And so God's people were like an expectant mother waiting for that promise to be born. Revelation takes us further and it really connects it even more to, to the woman representing the Old Testament people of God. And you can see that in Genesis 37 and the story of Joseph and, and his dreams. If you remember in, in the dream, uh, it's spoken of as, as the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowing down to Joseph. Well, Joseph is the 12th star. It's just that these others are bowing down to him. And it's representing what would become the nation of Israel. And it would be the nation of Israel that God would bring the Messiah through. So we're starting to get some bearings here, aren't we? This, this woman is representing the people of God from Genesis until Luke 2, you could say. From, from the promise of the seed that would crush the serpent's head to the son that was born to crush the serpent's head. So we're seeing that unfold. And in this way, there's, you know, there's different people that you would talk to say, well, no, this is about Mary. Mary's not the center stage here. Mary would be included with this as really that kind of connection between the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God. So she plays a part. She's definitely, we're so thankful for her and her faith that she put in Jesus. Do you remember in her Magnificat, Mary says, I need a savior. 
Mary's not looking for worship. She's, she's identifying herself as one who is sin, dead in sin and transgression. And she so needs the Savior that God has promised to the world. So she plays a part of the story, but she's not the center stage of the story. It's God's work in his people, in his believing people from the Old Testament now into what we're going to see is the birth of Jesus. And she's referred to in verse 2 as being pregnant and in labor pains. The agony of being in labor. This is the only place that in the New Testament this word is used for birth pains. All the other passages refer to the pain of persecution. All the other passages refer to the resistance against God and his people. So I think we should marry those two, those two meanings. There are birth pains being experienced here like a woman in labor. But it's, it's not just physical, the physical birthing process. It's that God's people have been attacked from generation to generation. That's the pain. That's the pain they've been suffering. Doesn't this give us new meaning to the genealogies? Oh, why are the genealogies there? Well, one, they're proving that Jesus is the promised Messiah. But it gives new meaning to the genealogies and all the trials and suffering and persecution. They all take on another depth of meaning when you see it as actually the birth pains of how God was bringing the Messiah into the world to save sinners like me. And I'm so glad. Dear God, thank you for the sustaining grace that you gave believing Jews. And there certainly were some believing Gentiles along the way. But mainly in the Old Testament, believing Jews. Thank you for the grace you gave them to endure. And to continue to believe in your promise that Jesus was coming to save sinners. Because we stand on their shoulders. Aren't you glad that they endured and suffered so that we could now know the Messiah who's come. They were looking at it as the Messiah to come. We are looking back at the Messiah who has come. And then we see another sign coming onto the scene, and we understand why there's been so much conflict from generation to generation. Why is your life so hard? First and foremost, sin. So we're not going to go, we're not going to cross the line and say Satan is the problem of everything. But Satan takes the problem of sin and magnifies it in horrendous ways. So, so here comes this dragon onto the scene. And we, and we begin to understand why there's so much conflict in the world. Because God's essentially pulling back the curtain to say, let me show you the spiritual realities that are causing these earthly conflicts. So we see this other sign coming and we understand there's been so much conflict because of what the devil has been doing and trying to keep the son from being born. So verse 3, he's called a great dragon. Besides sin itself, I think you could say Satan is the, is the greatest weapon of mass destruction ever. He's the greatest weapon of mass destruction known to man with all of his lies and deceit. He's red because he's always counterfeiting. When we think of red, we think of the blood that Jesus himself shed so that we could be forgiven. Satan sheds blood too from the, from the beginning. Remember, I think it was Christ. Christ said from the beginning he was a, you tell me, murderer. He, he introduced to the world sin and death. So in that sense, he's this murderer. Jesus 
Jesus bears our sin in our place. Jesus is punished. Jesus sheds his own blood in our place. Satan comes and says, I want to shed your blood and your blood and your blood and your blood. I don't want you to know Jesus. I'm going to do everything I can to keep you from knowing Jesus. And isn't it great that he can't stop the gospel? He didn't stop it for me. He won't stop it for you. And he won't stop it for the people we're praying for right now. So thankful for that. He was a murderer from the beginning. Seven heads. You know, we, we use that phrase. Sometimes we, we so mystify Revelation. You ever heard our phrase, two heads are better than one? It's just a colloquialism, isn't it? But we know what it's saying. Okay, well, let's don't go goofy here with seven heads. It's, it's a similar expression, meaning don't think you're going to outsmart him. This is a smart, cunning deceiver. So we need to, we, we're just, we're, we're realizing we have a formidable foe. Um, and then he goes to ten horns. It, the, the horns in scripture always spoke of power, um, often expressed through political or military or religious forces. Seven diadems indicate he considers himself royalty. And we even get a sense of that in the book of Ephesians because he's the prince of the power of the air from what Ephesians teaches us. And he works his power through human agencies, kings and governments and armies and organizations. It's possible. Remember, this book, this can't mean to us what it did not mean to that first century church. So it's possible that the church was, was seeing this illustrated in the issue of Rome and, the, and Rome's persecution on the church. You know, sometimes Rome is called the city on seven hills. And it's divided, it was divided into 10 districts. So back then, they could have been encouraged to know that, yeah, we have a formidable foe, but our battle is not against the flesh and blood of Rome. It's against the powers and deceit of the devil. We go into verse 4a, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Satan's, does this mean that this was Satan's fall and he's, he's grabbing a third of the angels to go with him? Well, believe that that happened. I don't think the text is pointing to that here in this time frame. I believe that probably happened before, before the, the Satan was tempting Adam and Eve. I think that fall has already happened. Let's use, the, let's use our Old Testament as our interpretive text. The text seems to be pointing out how his evil has not only sought to do away with God's people in the Old Testament, he's going to try to do something so cataclysmic that it will shake both heaven and earth. Daniel 8-9 is our reference. So those, I can't put everything in your notes. but uh, So Daniel 8-9, if you're going to go look at it, it describes how there was a leader to come referred to as a horn, and it grew until it reached the host of heavens. And, 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 and it reached the starry host and drugged some of the starry hosts down to earth and trampled on it. This revelation imagery in Hebrew, Hebrew poetry is constantly incorporating creation into the story. So when things are going good, what do we see? And the trees of the fields will clap their hands, right? Things are going good, right? The hills sing. The hills. No, they don't do that. But oh, that's, my, that's because my wife loves musicals. And it's the funniest thing, you guys. Our, I, well, I, well, I can't watch them because I cry. But, um, but our sons, it was so funny. Our daughter-in-laws are just always laughing about 
I don't know that I, I didn't expect I would marry a man who knew the lyrics of White Christmas. And it's so, so funny. Anyway, um, so it uses this imagery, but it also uses imagery about when things are evil and dark. And it uses phrases like stars fall from heaven. The earth groans. So what's happening here is Satan is attempting something so evil that it's reaching to heavenly realms. It's, it's going to have such massive impact between both heaven and earth. I think that's what it's saying. And, and the person that they were pointing to at the time, Daniel 8, was prophesying about Antiochus Epiphanes. He was an evil ruler motivated by Satan to destroy God's people. In Revelation, we see that the devil not only wants to destroy God's people, he wants to destroy God. How do we know? Well, keep reading. Verse 4b. There is this imagery that is to sober us, and I think to give us a sober reverential fear at the prospect of this dragon drooling over the anticipation of killing and devouring a baby as soon as it's born. Imagine Satan disguised as an OBGYN doctor. This is a dragon dressed in a white coat and scrubs. This is a dragon, a deceiver, encouraging the pregnant mom in labor to breathe, breathe. Okay, push, push, while he licks his chops in anticipation to eat the baby alive. This is how Satan influenced Herod, resulting in the order to kill baby boys around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. So you see how all of these these illustrations and imagery, these spiritual realities are being carried out in their tactics on earth. And in verse 5 it says, She gave birth to a male child, the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, the promised son that would crush the serpent's head. And now we get really one of the shortest presentations of the gospel, maybe in the Bible. So we see the incarnation with the birth of the woman. Uh, We've seen that the cross has already been displayed in Revelation 4 and 5 in the lamb that had been slain. And then in verse 11, the blood of the lamb that is our victory. And then it tells us he's the one who would rule all nations with a rod of iron. And why? Because of the cross that defeated sin and Satan. And then he was caught up to heaven. He wasn't devoured by the devil. He's dominating the devil. That's, I'm hoping that's what you're getting out of that verse. And he is seated victoriously on his throne. So now, Greg Beale, who I use, is one of the commentaries I use. Really important, guys, to see this. You wonder why we preach the gospel so much here. You, you guys, we preach the gospel so much here because it's a, it becomes very significant in how you live your life day to day. Very significant. If you don't, aren't remembering and believing that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. I couldn't get out. But he washed it white as snow. You guys, that's going to be the key to how you overcome Satan's lies. So Greg Beale says, now the decisive redemptive historical victory of Christ on earth is identified as the basis of the victory that suffering Christians on earth win over the serpent throughout history. The saint's status in heaven has been legitimized. No one's going to get to heaven, if you're a believer, no one's going to get to heaven and go, 
whew, I'm so glad I made it. I wondered if I would make it. I, do I really belong here? <laughs> You're never going to do that. You will, you will be praising him and saying, I'm here only by the blood of the Lamb. That's why I'm here. The saint's status in heaven has been legitimized finally by Christ's suffering on the cross. All believers, past, present, and future, have overcome him, the devil, because of the blood of the Lamb. And he's going to now, now we're going to learn about how we put that in, in action. So, point number two is the blood of the Lamb gives us victory over Satan's uh, accusations. For any of you Tolkien fans in The Hobbit, this is, this is such a simple but profound sentence that really describes what we're studying. I love this. It's in your notes. It does not do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. <laughs> Isn't that great? You woke up, guess who's in your neighborhood? Live dragon. That's how you woke up today. That's how you woke up today. And God's wanting to, maybe you woke up physically to that today, but maybe you need to wake up spiritually to that. Just because the devil's defeated doesn't mean he's still not dangerous. So verse 6 talks to us about the ascension of Jesus. The woman flees into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she was nourished for 1,260 days. So now that the woman had given birth representing the people of faith in the, in the Messiah to come in the Old Testament, now the imagery changes. And now it's the, the woman is the people of God, the church, believing Jews and Gentiles from all nations who have placed their faith in the Christ who has come. That's the woman. It's, it's the messianic believers, both in those believing of his, of his coming and those who believe that he's come. We see in the New Testament, the woman is the bride of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. And when the dragon can't destroy the son, the dragon turns his attention on hurting the woman, i.e. the church. So she flees into the wilderness. Now, wilderness, you, you, to think of it biblically, you need to think of, well, it's not just negative. It is negative, but there's real positives in it too. Well, let's first look at negative. Israel's wandering in the wilderness for an entire generation because of their sin and their disobedience and their unbelief. And in that wilderness, they suffered and they sojourned. And, and looking for a place that would be their final home. Sounds like these images, right? Kind of remind us of some things even about us. Uh, but a place that makes them long for their eternal home. The positive, isn't that amazing that even though they were in the wilderness, didn't it, this amazes me because this is what God could have said. Y'all, the wilderness is yours. I'm done with you. I'm done with you. Did he do that? Essentially, God goes into the wilderness with them. Guys, think about this. You've, you've been born again, but do you still sin after your salvation? Isn't it amazing that the blood of Christ is so effectual that God would dare to join himself to someone who can still be filthy in the way they think? Oh, God. We have a great salvation, you guys. We have a great salvation. So the positive is that God goes with them and he guides them with a pillar of fire and a cloud. For those of you who think, well, I'm too far gone. 
God goes, God chases you. He pursues you. A pillar of fire and cloud, he fed them manna. He gave them water from a rock and he dwelt with them through his presence manifested in the tabernacle. It was suffering and sojourning, but they were safe. So think of those words, suffering and sojourning, but safe. So the woman is going out into this kind of an element. And, and during that, it's interesting that in that wilderness wandering, if you were to go track it down and read through your Bible, you would find Israel would have made 42 encampments in which God kept them safe in the wilderness. 42 sound familiar? Should sound familiar with what we're studying in, in Revelation 42 months representing the entire time frame of our wilderness wandering between Jesus' first coming and second coming. And that's why in her wilderness wandering, she, she's an elect exile. She's a part of the selected rejected. It says that she's a place there that's been prepared by God, a place where she's nourished. And you know, I'm, so I'm just going to make an application here. I don't, it's, it's not text necessarily driven, but I don't think it's far from it. What is the place in the wilderness that God has prepared for you? Anyone thinking what I'm thinking? The church? Can I tell y'all, those who you, you're not in, in any kind of a disciplined delight to regularly fellowship with God's people. You're just setting yourself up for more attack and more deception and more deceit. And, and, and those of you who just attend for, for, for really not for God's glory, but kind of a superstitious attendance of, I need a blessing, man, I really need a blessing, so I'm going to come to church. Well, listen, the, the Lord, that's probably a satanic lullaby you've been listening to. God wants to wake you up. God wants to nourish us. He wants to love your heart. And he loves to do it through his people using his word. You're going to see that in just a minute. For how long? 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years, a time, time, and half a time. D.A. Carson, this was so helpful. I heard him say this. This, this was so deeply, this, these time frames were so deeply embedded in the Jewish mind. It would be like us, this is so good, who when you hear four score and seven years ago, now, maybe if you're really an amazing historian, you're thinking, oh, that was blah, 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 year, and it was January 7th. That's awesome if you know that. I don't know anything. But that's really not what most of us think, is it? We think of a time period. We're not thinking of a specific date. These numbers are not specific days in, in, in that sense. They're representing a period of time. Well, four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty, dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. That, that's just something in you. But it's about a period of time. This is about U.S. history. It's about President Lincoln and the Gettysburg Address and the Civil War and the Emancipation Proclamation and Lincoln's assassination. That's about a period of time. And so that's when the Jewish mind would know their Bible and their biblical history, they would see this period of time differently than just what we would in trying to nail it into a certain date and day and time. 
The, the first century church, they would have seen this three and a half people. It was, it was an ongoing illustration. And they would have reminded them of Moses in the 42 stages of their wilderness wandering. It would have reminded them about Daniel, of Elijah, the three and a half years where, where uh, um, uh, oh, oh my goodness, who is the evil king and queen? Jezebel and Ahab. Yes, thank you. Don't get old. <clears throat> three and a half years. Three and a half years of horrible persecution. Even Elijah, I remember wondering, golly, am I, am I the only one left? Horrible persecution with an amazing deliverance. They would have not just thought of that. They would have thought about the prophecy in Daniel about the, the Seleucid dynasty in Syria led by Antiochus Epiphanes. He would unleash a reign of terror against the Jews for three and a half years. But God raises up these, these, these people who represent the deliverer to come. This guy's name was Judas Maccabeus. His nickname was the Hammer. That's a good nickname for a boy. The hammer. Did you know he invented guerrilla warfare? Did you know West Point, I, from what I understand, they still study Joseph Maccabeus as, as revealed in the book of Jose, in Josephus' writings just to start to understand what guerrilla warfare looked like. He led the Maccabean revolt that resulted in the deliverance of God's people commemorated by Hanukkah. How long between the suffering and the deliverance? Three and a half years. Four score and seven years ago. It was a limited period of suffering in terms of evil, but sustained by God through it all until a deliverer comes to win the battle and stop the war and bring in peace. And we have somebody way better than Judas Maccabeus, don't we? Oh, thank you, Jesus. So Revelation uses periods like that to, to, to teach us not to be afraid. It's a hard life. I don't know why we think, well, maybe if I come to Jesus, life's going to get easier. No, if you're going to get come to Jesus, your soul is going to be so well. Your heart, you're going to have hope that the world can't, can't quench. You're going to have peace that's unexplainable given the circumstances that you go through. But an easy life externally, no promises of that. We're in the wilderness. For this 1,260 years between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. But who's there with us? The King of kings and Lord of lords. So the dragon has lost the war, but he keeps making war. He arose, a war arose in heaven. So now picture all this. Christ has come. We've seen the incarnation, the crucifixion, the glorification. And Michael and his angels are warring against the dragon. Verse 8, he was defeated because now Christ has died and rose and ascended to heaven. He's not allowed there anymore the way he was when he was accusing Job and others in front of the throne of God. Verse 9 says, the great dragon, I love this. Three times it says this. He was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down, down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. One commentator said the word literally means bounced. He was bounced. I love that. He's called the devil. It means he's diabolical. He's a slanderer. He tells lies about God. He tells lies about you. He tells lies about others. He's Satan, the adversary, the accuser. This is his, this is his battle plan. He's a relentless prosecuting attorney. 
He's the deceiver of the whole world. He, he lies. In, he tells partial truths. He's a manipulator. Verse 10 is our victory. Listen to that. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. It seems like devil, the devil really likes the accusation part because that's, we have heard that word so many times in this chapter. But because the blood of the Lamb took away our condemnation, it also puts away the accusation. What's there the devil can accuse you of? Your sins are forgiven. You're a hypocrite. Yeah, I'm a hypocrite of forgiven hypocriteness. I don't know, that's not a really very good sentence. But isn't that the way it works? And so we conquer and overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and not loving our lives unto death. The blood of the lamb robs Satan's main weapons of slander and accusation to be destroyed. The foundation of Christ's death is what, from, from, and for, for our, to free us from the penalty of our sins is the foundation with which we stand against Satan and his accusations. Let me just ask you, just some application here, and then we'll wind this up. You know, a lot of what the devil does is he takes words and wounds and then goes to town with them. How many of us, as we were growing up, you know that phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what is it? Words will never hurt me. I don't know about you, but words, words hurt me. Told I was, that, that one of my parents wished I was never born. You don't think that's kind of hung around? You're never going to get over this sin. Why do you keep sinning that same sin? You must not be a Christian. How about this? Those of us who have lost loved ones. Oh man, you're, you're nothing now that they're gone. That, that, was, that was the best years of your life. How about those of us who have experienced the horrible shame of being sinned against physically? So words being said to you that you're never going to amount to much. You're never, you, forget about praying. You're terrible at praying. I can't, but I'm not a good reader. Says who? Why would God give us foundationally a written faith if he wouldn't give you the grace to be a reader? There's so many lies that we believe. Lust, you're never, there's no way I can beat lust. Laziness. My anger, I, I'm, I still, I hate my anger, but it seems like the more I try to stop it, the more it comes out. I have never known that I could be so bitter, and bitterness is blinding me. Bitterness is, there just seems to be no escape from it. And so bitterness is making me want other people to pay. How could God forgive you after this? Your sickness must mean he doesn't love you. You'll never get out of debt because God's punishing you. You're destined to be alone. Things I've heard. You're the problem with the church.
You know, when we agree with those accusations and deceptions, isn't it the weirdest thing? We begin to feel them. And I think that's when a lot of us kind of give up because we just feel like, I don't know how to stop feeling this. Well, the feeling didn't just come out of nothing. The feeling came from a belief. And you believed Satan's accusations. You guys, I got to tell you, I, I need this passage. You ask my wife, I can be tigger, bouncy, flouncy, chouncy, bouncy. But way too often I'm Eeyore. I need this passage. I think you do too. And when I get into that dark place to where my belief has become a fault, it feels like reality, it's a false reality. What's the cure? Say it with me. The blood of the lamb. The word of our testimony. And you know, Satan, you can do your worst. All it's going to do is get me to heaven quicker. Take your best shot. That's how we overcome. But God never intended us to do it by ourselves. Last week we were talking, a group of us were talking and just talking about how much we need other Christians, the local church in our lives. We need the preaching of the word. We need small group fellowship because I'm regularly needing somebody to say, okay, what are you believing? That sounds like Satan's accusations. No wonder you're feeling so bad. Let me pull you up. Come on, lean on me so we can together lean on the Lord. What are we going to do? Let's believe the gospel. Let's believe that it's all been forgiven. Here, let's read a couple of things. This is so good. I got, you guys got to see this. Marcus was, was so excited about these two quotes. Look at the D.A. Carson quote and the Martin Luther quote. This is, this is, how, we, this is how we fight our battles, right? Oh, come on. Um, so here's D.A. Carson. Satan accuses Christians day and night. It's not just that he will work on our conscience to make us feel as dirty and guilty and defeated and destroyed and weak and ugly as he possibly can, although he certainly does all those things. It's not only that, though. It's something worse. His entire ploy in the past is to accuse us before God day and night, bringing charges against us that we know we can never answer before the majesty of God's holiness. How many of us have struggles with that? Because the devil's right sometimes. He's observed my life. He knows what a wretch I can be. How do I fight against that? Here we go. <laughs> But what can we say in response? Will our defense be, I'm not that bad? <laughs> no. You will never defeat Satan that way. What you must say is, Satan, I'm even worse than you think. And God has loved me anyway. He has accepted me because of the blood of the Lamb. Luther put it this way, when the devil throws our sins up to us and declares us that we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak thus. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. This is how we fight our battles. Oh, you guys. So the last part is this. You can look at the other, the other notes. Um, 
you know, I, I, the Greg Beal quote at the end of your notes I think is an important one because sometimes it feels like suffering means we're losing, but actually suffering is actually a means that shows we're actually winning because we're sharing in the suffering of the risen Savior. And the fact that we're being attacked and persecuted is not a sign of defeat, but, but, but that we're on the right side. We're on the victorious side. And then the rest of the, the chapter just goes back to say, don't be surprised that you're in the wilderness. Don't be surprised that Satan will attack. I think this gives some credence to the thought that, that as, as we move to the second coming of Jesus, the love of the church is going to grow white hot and the love of the world is going to grow ice cold. There's going to be this, this, this both happening because you just don't see a stop of Satan. Even though he's defeated, he's deranged. And so you see that in verses 12 and through 17, but you see with each step of the way, the Lord rescues us from his lies, gives us victory over his deception, and it's all based on the lamb that was slain. Eric, you want to come and bring the team, please? You know, as, as uh, the worship team comes this morning, um, I just don't ever want to assume that everybody in this room knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I'll just put it this way. If you died today, do you have complete assurance that you would go to heaven? And if you said yes, then I would say I'd be kind of nosy. And I would say why? Because it's, if it's based on your works, I've got bad news for you. Your sin is so bad that even the best works can never take it away. You've sinned against a holy God. How does, how, what does God do? Compromise his holiness and say, oh, I'll let you keep seven out of the Ten Commandments. No, he doesn't do that. How do you, as somebody who's dead in sin, do enough righteousness to please him? If that's been your hope, it's a false hope and the devil's probably manipulating the, the dickens out of you about that. Our hope is that Jesus built the bridge between holy God and sinful man. He represents God perfectly in that he never sinned. He represents us perfectly as that he was punished as though he committed all of our sin. And he, he's buried, he rises again to prove God accepted his sacrifice. And then he gives as a gift of faith, just, just a gift that comes through repentance and faith. He reconciles sinner and Savior, sinner and God, so that they can be one for the rest of eternity. If you haven't come to know Jesus like that, you, oh, you're missing out on the biggest blessing of your life. And you're never going to be able to defeat the, enemy, defeat the enemy that hates your guts and wants to do everything he can to keep you from following Jesus. In fact, right now, probably that satanic lullaby is playing again. I know I've gone too long. I'm I just, I don't know how to say it short. I'm trying. See, this is, the, this is the lies I hear from the devil. The church would be so much better if you didn't preach so long. Pray for me.
We'd love to pray with you if you would like to know more about following Christ as your Lord and Savior. Eric, would you close us with this great song? Great song. Could you stand with us, please?